Father, we are entering into a time here in our country and we can feel the residue of the hostility that is brewing in our nation. And Father, we can see that it's having an impact even among those in whom you have called to be your children. But I thank you, Father, that even in the midst of this time, it has not caught you by any surprise. And so I pray here tonight, Father, that as we continue in our sermon series from Romans, that you will continue to build us up in the word. And it's from your word, Lord, where our faith is strengthened. Our hearts are encouraged. And we therefore have hope. A hope that will not disappoint us. But a hope that will continue to give us the strength to stand in the midst of these evil days. I pray, Father, that as we open the word up tonight from Romans 8, 28 to verse 30. Lord, these passages of scriptures are very rich. They're meaty. There are hardly there are no bones. It's full grown man steak. And Lord, I don't know how to communicate this, but you have put it here in Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. It gets even more. All of this eternal predestination and foreknowledge. Calling chosen before time began. Lord, we are finite beings. and We can't hardly understand any of this by your spirit unless your spirit comes to help us to to see what only the spirit can reveal to us. Though I'm the pastor and the preacher for the moment, Lord, I must confess my feebleness and my weakness and Lord, and to convey this into a vast Diverse audience. Some are very new in the faith. Some have not come to the faith. Some are in the process. And somewhere in between. You have the strong, you have the weak. And so, Lord, I confess that I pray to you, you would come. Untie my tongue and my mind that I would only convey and communicate. With all clarity of heart and mind and with a clear conscience those things that you would want me to say. As one person said to me on last week that I don't have to defend you because you can defend yourself all by yourself. Come Holy Spirit, as we now stand to open up the word of God. And though things have been different here tonight, we pray that nothing changes with the preaching of your word which you have used from the beginning of time to open the eyes of the blind and cause them to see. And that in itself is a miraculous miracle that only could come about because of your sovereign desire. We thank you now. We praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I've had a long day. And Brother Mike back there is in the booth tonight. And he's, I said, he's, he said, man, I'm tired. I said, well, get used to it, brother. That's what we do. I said, I'm, <laughs> he's like, you know, he's like, man, getting up early in the morning, preaching and talking, and coming back in the evening. I've been doing this for eight years and just getting started. <laughs> so anyway, stand to your feet. Let's read the word of God from Romans 8, 28. And um, God's message to the children of God. Here we go. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. We explained that last week. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on that this week. Um, but we explained that. Who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let me explain this thing I'm doing differently. We normally say this is the word of God and you say Thanks be unto God, and then you would take a seat. But what I'm basically wanting you to do with this, I'll start reading. I'll say the grass withers and you finish it off. And then you will say, thanks be unto God after you finish it off. But what I'm doing you to do here, I'm putting the preeminence. It's not on me. It's not on who I am or anyone else. But we're putting that it's only God's word that's eternal. And so everything else around you, the politics, they will continue to increase and become more and more intrusive in your life. One thing I want you to leave away when you come here to Urban Hope, that the word of God is the only thing that will remain forever. It's eternal. And so that's what we're doing with this. So I'm going to say the grass withers and then you finish it off. And then you say, thanks be unto God. And then I say, have your seats. Here we go. Let's try it out. The grass withers. Thanks be in. Amen. You can have your seats. All right. You guys are getting it, man. New church in Fairfield. Trying new things. Here we go. All right. Last week. I shared some heavy stuff. I've already prayed into that. Heavy information. Last Sunday. Um, which theologians call, which is I was preaching on. Um, the Greek, the word that I was really talking about was salvation, which is the words in that theologians use is the word soteriology, which is defined as the doctrine of salvation. Who starts it? Is it of you? I know some of you have come from a background where you say the doors of the church are open and then you walk down and you give your life to Jesus. And I did that a thousand times and, and I would go back the next week because I would mess up. And so I didn't know if I lost it. Did it go somewhere? Did God take it back? Did he steal it from me? I don't even know what was going on. <laughs> and so depending on how good of a preacher you was, you can get a lot of money out of my pocket. Because <laughs> I was feeling guilty. I messed around, went back, you know, went back to the club or whatever. You know, got my grooves on and I come back and the sermon was good. And the dude said, the doors of the church are open. And I come down again. You know, so I must have did that like a hundred thousand times. You know, I'm over exaggerating, but it was a lot. 
That's my point. And so is that salvation? It's up to you to keep trying hard. To keep trying hard. I'm on, one day I'm going to get it, Pastor Halton. One day I'm going to go back and I'm not going to lust no more. I'm not going to lust on Monday nor Tuesday. I may do a little bit on Wednesday, but I skip Wednesday, you know, for some Ash Wednesday, or maybe that's coming up, or whatever the case may be. And so scholars call it the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. But we in this sermon series, we're calling it um, God's message to the whole world. That's what we called it before. But now we've made a transition. We're not using that statement anymore. We're now calling this sermon series going forward God's message to the children of God. And the subtitle, The Amazing Mystery of God's Love. You know, I can just stop here and preach on that alone, just that statement alone. I would probably make an argument here tonight that most of you are probably struggling to really understand God's love for you as a Christian. It's not an easy thing to to grapple with, to be honest with you. God works overtime convincing you how much he loves you. Took me a long time to let God in this fatherless heart. I had my fists up. I was Mike Spinks, Ali, Floyd Mayweather. I was boxing with God. And I was like, ain't going to get me. I've been hurt and wounded, so I was fighting. And, you know, but, you know, God been around a long time. <laughs> and I mean a long time. <laughs> and he knows how to wait for the right moment. And God had me in the right place at the right time. And he had me up against the wall and my arms were so weak. And I needed a drink of water like I need one now. And I said, Lord, I give up. <laughs> I give up. And therefore, I have not been the same since. But on last week, uh, I made a couple of statements um, that I didn't make last week that I want to make this week that will kind of lead us into my sermon here for tonight. So one of the things I'm asking is, Lord, this stuff is heavy. You know, I text one guy. He's like, man, I said, how you like? He said, man, it's just some heavy stuff. It's just Sandra even said in my wife, she's like, man, where's the joy? I was like, that's not the point. I'm trying. I don't want to take the joy of the room. But see, this we God wrote it. And so a lot of people don't say, I'm taking the joy out. They can't see you. They see me. <laughs> so I'm like, God, help me communicate this in a way that at least some joy remains in the room. And so tonight, I do want to make a couple of statements that I didn't make last week that I want to make tonight. First statement, that God's unconditional election of us should deeply humble us at all times and remind us that his love of us is unconditional. That his love of us is unconditional. That there's nothing you can add to your life that will cause him to love you anymore tonight than he did five years ago. That should humble you. It should, it should cause a deep gratitude. I remember when this hit me 
And it still does. You hear, you see, when I started weeping, I started talking about God's grace. That's what I'm getting at. I can't, I can't tell you. You, you want to say, well, Pastor Alton, you're an anointed guy and you this and that. You're a great preacher. But, but what you don't understand, none of that is of me. It's, it's not like I went to a school and sat down and said, make me a great preacher. It was not me that put my own fingers in my mouth and untied my tongue. I can't explain to you why I am doing what I'm doing. Only accept the grace of God. It's not something that I can point to. That's, where, that's what I did, right? And so if you go do what I did, you get the same benefit. I can't point to that. And so even now, I can feel the bubbling up of just tears because I can't point to anything. And so all that does, it keeps, it should keep you and I in a posture of humility. This is why I know God must be looking at his sons and daughters and saying, don't you even understand that you got up this morning and that you have my breath and my oxygen that you're using? And you're drinking my water. <laughs> you're drinking my Kool-Aid. <laughs> you're eating my popcorn. <laughs> and you're eating my veggies. <laughs> if you're a gardener in the room, you make no, you just take the seed and put it in the ground and it grows. Point it out, Jesus. <laughs> Got some gardeners in the room, say amen. <laughs> God said, I'm the true gardener, but at least you're imitating me. That's the first statement. The second statement that I should have made last week is this, that God's unconditional election should lead to an overpowering realization that our life has a purpose assigned to it. And that our life is not our own. You, when you understand this calling and election of God, one of the realizations that should overwhelm you, with that comes a great responsibility. Your prayer life should change. Not my will, but your will be done. Where you want me to go, where you want me to live, where you want me to do, where you want me to accomplish for your glory. Once you understand that unconditional election of God. The overpowering realization that our life is, has a purpose and that is not our own. And so the end of verse 28 says, according to his purpose, whose purpose? Not our purpose, God's purpose. The purpose of God, Paul says. All things work together for a good. Those who love God, who've been called according to to his purpose, not our purpose, but according to the purpose of God. Job 42 verse 2 says on the purpose of God, I know that you can do all things, Job says, and that no purpose of yours can be stopped, frustrated, or terminated. I was trying to quote the word. I have this southern dialect. I said, what's the word I was trying to get you to say? Say it for me. Thwarted. it. So I was trying to say it. That's what it says. I'm not going to say it. She's a baby. Don't say the word. But that's the word. 
See, I'm from, I'm from Dirty Sardis. I can't even pronounce the word. So I went to her and said, I'm saying it right. She said, no, you're not saying it right. I said, I said, well, I said gee, I'm going to try to come up with another word, Mike. I'm going to say frustrated. But in the NIV, it's thwarted. See, I'm not even saying it right. She said, no, you're not saying it right. So you get my point. God can't be stopped. His purposes cannot be terminated. He's God. Proverbs 21.30 says that no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Nothing can stop God's purpose. That which he is determined, he will complete. Isaiah 14.27 in NLT, New Living Translation says that the Lord of the heavens armies have spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? No one. And Paul says, according to God's purpose, all things work out for their good. And they work out according to the purpose of God. God's purpose cannot be stopped. They cannot be frustrated. And so I say this is important for us to understand, especially in the midst of the all things, because the all things includes all things. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the hot days, the sunny days, the cool days, the snowy days, the rainy days. God is still working out his purposes. And you need to remember that because when it comes so. Uh, the guy on Aquila who writes blog, some of you know him, you follow in the, in the, in the camp that we follow. His son was in, in college and actually in Southern Seminary. He's 20 years old. I sent it to the elders in training. All things. His son just died. Nothing wrong, died. A tough situation. The all things. So in those moments, for all of us, we ask, where well, has God's plans come to an end? Did it stop when things like that take place in our life? We always say God is good and all the time when we're getting married, new baby on the way, new job, new promotion, new house, new car, new motorcycle, new bicycle, and for Chad back there, a new hunting rifle <laughs> and catching a new type of deer or something that's never been, nobody never seen before. He's the first one to shoot it. Instead of having eight horns, the guy's got 30 horns. <laughs> what kind of deer is that? A deer from Mars. He caught it. God's got to be on the throne. So it's important to understand that God's purpose cannot be stopped in the midst of all things. But here I want to focus in on this all things especially as it relates to the salvation of a genuine believer who have been chosen of God according to his amazing love. There's all things Paul is saying for those that love God. And we explained that in the last week, so I'm not going to go back. But we know that in order for us to love God, God has to first love us. So in this all things, Paul is saying all things work together for good 
them that love God. And when I'm saying to you in this all things, this salvation, if you're a genuine believer here tonight, that you have been chosen of God according to his amazing love. And here in our text, Apostle Paul says in the end of verse 29, Paul introduced to us two words that he's not used before here in Romans. Two terms that you and I, that are loaded with meat, no bones. This is a straight steak with no fat on the end. It is strictly the, probably the best steak that you can ever get in any five-star restaurant. Two words that he introduced to us. God's foreknowledge and predestination of people being conformed into the image of his son, Paul says. God's foreknew or God's foreknowledge and God's predestination. Two words, foreknowledge and predestination. The Greek word for foreknowledge is progisno, which means to know beforehand to know something beforehand. And the Greek word for predestined, pro-rizzo, means to come to a decision beforehand or to determine ahead of time. Paul saying to the Romans that God foreknew and predestined you and I, those who are his children, to be conformed to the image of his son. God knew beforehand and God determined beforehand ahead of time what will be. And I know some of you are like, Pastor Hurry, come on, bro. <laughs> that, that's what the guy said to me last week. Man. He said, man, where's the joy? <laughs> there is joy. When you think about it, there is an amazing joy that comes with this. When you just sit in the room and you can know that you know that you are a child of God and it had nothing to do with you. And all the sins and all the stuff that we did when we were lost that should have taken us to the other side, but yet it didn't. And you're here tonight. When you sit and think and reflect on that, shouldn't be able to stop the tears. Paul says in these two words, foreknowledge and predestined. Predestined means to come to a decision beforehand. Something has been made on the front end. Like when you go to the airport, where are you going, Pastor Hardy? They don't say, Pastor Hardy, where are you going, Mr. Hardy? Uh, what's that place that all the rich folks go to over in the Middle East with the big old towers? Dubai. <laughs> I ain't never been there. I want to go there. It's in the ticket, Dubai. That's where, I, okay. And everything is directing me there. But this is where we need to understand the first chapters, first seven chapters of Romans, and know them very well. 
That's what I was saying. God's message to the world. All Paul is trying to tell the whole world. In the first chapters, first seven chapters of Romans. The Paul is making it very clear that's not one is righteous. But if you just listen to the media and everyone else, everybody else is so better than somebody else. Think about this. And I'm just I'm, now I'm going off. But the Holy Spirit, because this is on my heart. How can anyone be more righteous that uh, that can actually have their heart in their hand in the business of killing children? Just, just think about that. Now, our son lived in Colorado and, and he didn't like it in Colorado. You could be up to nine months. Walk into a clinic, nine months pregnant. In fact, the baby can be ready to come out. You can decide. I don't want it. And they have to kill it. How can that person say they have some inherent righteousness over someone else? But it shows you how the human heart is deceitful beyond all, as, as the writer says in Jeremiah. Who can understand it? I mean, I'm just like, what are we talking? I mean, what are we talking about? That's just one. So Paul is saying in these first seven chapters, there is not no one who's righteous. No one. But all are fallen in Adam. And we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead as a doornail, as they say. No hope. We are dead. Born dead. No one is born with righteousness within them. We all are born with a proclivity towards sin and rebellion towards God. That's what Paul is saying in the first seven chapters of Romans. And he's saying that's not to some, that's to everybody. That's not just, just to some people. That's not just to poor people who live on South Side of Chicago. Paul says, no, that's to everyone, to the rich guy, to the poor guy, to the king and the queen, to the prince and the princess, to the president, to the vice president. No one. Paul says it's righteous. All have sinned. That's why we have to know that. But here's where God steps in. All are in sin. Hearts are bent on doing evil. We all are just like our first father, Adam who seek to be independent from God. I got it. I don't need you. You know you're the creator. I just want your air and your oxygen and your water, your gold and your diamonds. But I just don't want you ruling my life. That's all of humans. But then God has determined beforehand in his eternity past to elect, choose some according to his purpose. Somebody say, why you don't choose all? I don't know. 
but he just chose everyone that he's made. As we get into Romans chapter 9 and 10, you're going to see it. So I'm just kind of setting you up. This is when grace becomes sweet. That's why we come in, we sing, even though there's no instrumentation, because it's not about the instrumentation, it's about the heart. Who am I? And who are you, God? So I come into the house of the Lord to lift my hands to thee and to worship you, for you are worthy of praise. What God has determined beforehand in eternity past to elect, choose some according to his purpose. So how this work of salvation, of unconditional, amazing love, how should it humble us? And how should the overwhelming realization of this love of God that our life has purpose connected to it when God saves us. The purpose of God is connected to it. And that our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God with our bodies, with our hands, with our hearts. We've been purchased with a price. So how should this work of salvation of his unconditional love, amazing love, I call it. How should it humble us? Well, in this foreknowledge of God, salvation has its origin in the mind or the eternal counsel of God and not in man. It's not in us, this thing called salvation. I was explaining to one of the preachers this here how I preach in, in my sermon. And so I got a part of my sermon where I call it gospel implications. Because the gospel is what God has been doing and what he does. It's not what you do. But most of what we hear on the podcast is self-help sermons. You're always being told what you must do in order to achieve God's love. That's why we like it, because it's, it, it fits where we, where we are. We love, the, we love the fig leaf theology. That's what Adam did when he sinned. He went and got a fig leaf. He went and got a fig leaf. God didn't go get a fig leaf. What did God do? He did what? He killed an animal, which was pointing to his son's death. An innocent lamb. Which, see, we would never do that. No, 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 I'm not going to kill for, for me. Let me go give some veggies to it. And that's what Cain did. God said, that's not enough. But Abel offered lamb. Salvation is not what we do. It's what God does and what he's always been doing, which is saving us from ourselves, which we can't do in our own self. But we love sermons that twist us to what we need to do. How to love your husband more. Get more of the gospel. Because all the issues you have, you're holding unforgiveness because you don't know how much God has forgiven you. It's all reciprocal. You ain't never love your wife. You ain't never going to love your husband. You ain't never going to love your children until you understand how much God has loved you. Well, how do you love your husband? I need, give me a five steps how to love your husband. Get the gospel. 
<laughs> Jesus, show me how much you love me even when I don't brush my teeth. You know, nobody breath smells fresh in the morning. At least mine don't. <laughs> Some of y'all be smoking them cigars. I know your breath ain't smelling good in the morning. But guess what? God don't stop loving you because your breath. But we do that to each other. I mean, you ain't walking on the right eggshells. You close the door. No, I'm not cooking. Whatever it is. Give it a hand. Give it a back. Give it a fist or whatever it is. Because we never know when someone to make somebody walk on the right eggshells. Loving people is nothing more but coming to understand how much God loves you. And in that, you live out of that. When people make mistakes, when I go to restaurants, people always mess up. I still give the same tip. That's what grace is. Because I'm saying, even though you didn't do well tonight, maybe you're a single mom, I don't know your story. But anyhow, I'm still going to give 20%. I just want to show you just because I'm just giving the 20 percent, even though you you blew me off as soon as me and my wife came in here. Now, some of you said, well, Pastor, that's not. Well, that's kind of how I do it, because it's what God does for us. How many times have I failed? And I'm glad God don't pull the rug from underneath my feet. I wouldn't be here tonight if he did. So in this Foreknowledge of God, salvation has its origin in the mind of God, his eternal counsel, and not in us. And so I want to just point a couple of scriptures out to you as it relates to the foreknowledge of God and how it works and how it works it out and it's in, in, in with correlates with the purpose of God as well. So here's the first one from Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 5. It took me a long time to get this text, but now as I've gotten a little older, it makes a lot more sense now. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says. I chose you. Huh? He chose you. <laughs> when did he choose him? Before I formed you. Stop. See, that just went over a lot of our heads. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. I chose you, called, elected, however word you want to put with it, before I formed you in the womb. Before you even got in the womb, I had already called you, chose you. That's that what Paul is saying. That's that before time stuff. That's beforehand. God saw the fall. Jesus was a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world were made. So God already had saw the fall. But God, within the fall, God had already in his own counsel, he had already had a people that he was going to make alive by the grace of himself. Within that fall. He said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. Here's the purpose. And I set you apart. Before you were born. And I appointed you to Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. 
This is taking me some time to understand when God's calling and choosing of us comes with it. A purpose. That's why we say out of Egypt to the promised land is not osmosis. It's always with a purpose. Why are you here? And what is it that the Lord of the universe would have you to do with your life? That is not something that you should not just pray a little bit. You should pray sincerely about that. At all times. God says, before I knew you. For you was in your mother's womb. I knew you. And I called you, Jeremiah, to be a prophet to the nations. Patrick was reading the text tonight. If you have your bulletin, you can turn to it. Or Michael, you can just put it back up on the board. Go to Psalms 139, where it says, verse 13 and 16. This really speaks to this beforehand stuff. It's one of my favorite Psalms. It says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. See, it's all that before my, before my mother's womb stuff. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And when I was formed in the depths of the earth. And your eyes, the Holy One's eyes, Yahweh, Adonai, I am that I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who sits on the throne. Your eyes saw me when I was, man, this is Caesar's, when I was formless. Paul's talking about in the foreknowledge God has predestined for those of, to be conformed to the image of a son. Here David says, your eyes saw me before I was formless, when I was formless. And in all the days were written in the, your book and planned before a single one of them began. He has a purpose. When Paul is telling the Romans this, and he gets into it, no angel, no death, no nothing will separate you from God. This is, it's not you're going to get snatched out because you couldn't do even put yourself in there so you can't get snatched out. It was God who put you in. And so Paul concludes in the end of Romans 8, nothing will separate you. Nothing is going to separate you from God. You know what's really puzzling me right now? I'm just a kid from Sardis. 
I can go all night with this foreknowledge of God and his sovereign will. The same God says in Revelation 1 that he has the keys of life and death in his hands. It's in his hands. The same one that says in Matthew 10 that not a sparrow can fall to the ground. That sparrow can't die. It can't not just die on its own. It can't, Satan just can't come kill it. Satan just can't come kill you when he wants to. Death is in the hands of Jesus. He can't just come kill me because he desired to kill me. Because if he could have, he would have done it a long time ago. So I can't live my life in fear of the COVID-19. I can't live my life. You can't live your life running from death. Death is under God's control. And he has written your days down in the book. And he knows the day that you was going to be born. And he knows the day that you're going to die. So be about the business of the kingdom. Redeeming the time for your days are short. You're not adding to it. Each day, it gets lesser and lesser. Please read your Bible. Even if you do die. What's the worst of that? You're with Jesus. Christians live life because the one who's come to give us life controls all of life. Not saying be presumptuous. I didn't say go out and jump out in front of a truck. A sin mine. That's testing God. But death It can't come until God gives the okay. He said a sparrow can't fall to the ground. And then Jesus, how much more your heavenly father cares about you? That's just a bird. Yes, I'm going to die. If I keep living and God tarries, one day Pastor Alton will go to be with Jesus. But please let it be said, it was according to God's plan and God's timing. This is why this stuff is comforting. You don't have to walk in fear. Remember we said last week, fear is of the devil. But God's perfect love, God's unconditional agape love it casts out fear, the phobia, which paralyzes people. There will always be threats of death. This year's COVID-19, as EJ was praying, as we continue to live times, there will be more of them coming. As we get more and more towards the end, more and more pestilence and diseases and hurricanes and all kinds of stuff is happening. The groaning, the shaking of the foundations and the politics, we can feel it. All the gender confusion. We got stuff coming at us in this world that we can't even imagine that we'll be here two years from now. 
Some of you have to raise your children through this. You have to navigate them through a world that's totally Canaanite. No fear of God. What's coming has been predicted. All we do, continue to give the word, continue to stand on it, continue to preach it, continue to evangelize, trusting that God and his timing, according to his elect, he will open the eyes of those in whom he can only one that can open them. And we let God be God and us be people. Your eyes saw. But those he foreknew, the foreknowledge, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Started off in Romans 8, sanctification. What's the end result in all of this? That you and I be conformed to his son, which is Jesus. God's working, conforming, and shaping you and I to be like his son. That's what he made in Genesis. He made man in the image and likeness of himself. And what God starts, God will complete. That's all he's doing. He's making you and I like his son. You want to know what's going on in your life? If you're a Christian, sanctification. God said, I don't talk like that. God said, I didn't run from the Romans. Now, when they tried to kill me, they tried to throw me off a cliff. They tried to do all kinds of stuff to me. The Bible just say he just got out of it. It wasn't his time. He couldn't do anything. Where'd he go? Jesus like, it's not my time. You can't. And then Jesus got in front of Pilate. You can't take my life. Now he started talking God talk. You can't take nothing, Pilate. Better back up. You have no authority except that be given to you. You can't take my life. Pilate was getting boastful up there. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm the president? And Jesus must have just, whoop, he had that, had that twitch. But they say in the Pentecost, he had that Holy Ghost twitch. What? What? Man, you must. <laughs> Jesus started like, Peter, you better get him. <laughs> I'm about to give him that energy. <laughs> but Jesus called him. He's like, you have no power, bro. That's Christianity. Yeah, you're going to die. Is your death determined by when Satan does it? But when God says, it's time to come be with me. That's what Paul is saying. And in the meantime, God is conforming us to the image of his son. It's going to get deep. I'm just getting started with this stuff. I mean, I can just stay in this for another 25 weeks, but I can't do it. So I get so I'm asking the Lord to give me. Parallels to help me land the plane for people to get your mind around this. But I end here tonight. I said it should humble you.
and cause there to be a deep humility in you. A humility that just bubbles up in the side of you. When you just know that you are a child of the king and had anything to do with you. Somebody would ask, well, what about the others? I'll tell you what one great theologian says. When people say, well, what about the other people? When you're asking about others, you haven't caught the first. Meaning you ain't caught it at the heart. Because what you're saying in the question itself, that he chose you because of something in you. He didn't. It was just because. That's why it's called amazing love. I don't know. I just, why would he choose me? I wasn't any better. Who in this room did, didn't sin? Who in this room never lied, never cursed, never lusted, never stole money, whatever? Who in this room whose hands are clean? I'm not asking why he didn't choose somebody else. I'm asking why he chose me. Why would he choose Elton? And with that alone, I am deeply, deeply humble by his matchless grace. And so, Father, we are humble that in your sovereign supremacy, you would reach down and choose sinners, sinners like us. Father, cause a, a deep humility to begin to well up in our hearts as we go home tonight and we wake up in the morning when we're driving to work and we look over and we see the green grass and the trees changing, that we just get glimmers of your amazing grace and love. And that when we walk into the office, people say, what? why are you smiling like that? What's, what's happened to you? Where do you get that joy from? God, may we enthusiastically be able to say, you don't have an idea what I used to be, what I was like. May we just be able to just, uh, just, it's that joy that we Christians have. We're not judgmentalists. We can only be judgmentalists because we don't understand the grace given to us. But God, may you change that among us this hour. That when people see us, they wouldn't see people who judge the world, but they would see people who are filled up with joy. Unspeakable joy. Joy that is not man-made, not man-circumstantial, but a joy that is within us, that is always building up, bubbling up from the inside of us. A joy that comes from knowing that I am what I am because of nothing more, nothing more, nothing more, nothing more but the love of God, the sweet love of God, the amazing love of God, the unconditional love of God, the love that never fails, the love that never gets old, 
The love that can't be counterfeited, it is real because God is love. When all of this is over, when all of this is said and done, it would be the God's love that reigns supreme. God, give us his love, God, in this hour so that we can be the church. The church in this hour, Lord, I'm so tired of the bickering Jesus. Come by the power of your spirit, God, and bask us in the love that you've given to us. That no matter what we are, what we profess, what color skin we have been housed in, that we would have such a love for one for another. And God, that's what you said in your word, that the world would take notice that these people are none of this world. But we are sojourners and soldiers and pilgrims who are passing through because we have been met by the glove of God. Jesus, what we need you so much in this hour. The Christians are fighting with each other on internet, social media. That's not Christianity, Father. I know it's not. So, Lord, come, bring a mighty outpouring of your spirit upon us and do it in this little city called Fairfield, little bankrupt city that nobody would say, can anything good come out of Fairfield? Let it be said, Father, that God, the eternal one, the I am that I am, sent his power of his presence and his spirit and it filled the place and it filled the highways and the byways of Fairfield and you saved men and women God from their sins that's what we ask for Father that you would do this that you would do this I feel it in my bones Lord that you're coming you're coming I sense it, Lord. You're coming, Jesus. I sense it so much. You're coming, Jesus. I know it. I feel it. You're coming, Jesus. And we welcome your presence, Lord Jesus. This is your house. This is your city. We are your people, Lord. And we say, God, we decrease and may you increase, Jesus. Not our will be done, Jesus, but your will. And God, for this purpose was I born, Jesus. For this purpose, when you called me from poor service, Lord God, to be a mouthpiece, that you're coming with your manifold wisdom of glory. For this moment, Jesus, not my will, your will be accomplished, Lord. This is my humble prayer. I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, <laughs> oh my God, man, something is happening. I don't know what's going on with me right now. <laughs> oh my Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> man, I better get out of this pulpit. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Tim, they're doing something to me. <laughs> Brother Chad, where you at, man? Come over and, and give the. I can't even talk right now. I need to go sit down.
And may the God of all hope fill you with all 